Okay, are we doing well this week? We're good. I think we should just sit in the sun because it's that little bit warmer. I think that the heating was broken again yesterday and they seem to get it fixed, but it is a bit cold, so apologies for that. So we're going to keep looking at our message series, which you probably can't see because the sun is putting off and putting on. And each week I want to do a recap because at the discipleship event, if you weren't there, Dennis said there's phrases that Colin's going to use and we should all know. And I said, the light of love shines. Silence. Silence in us. What? Light of love shines on us, shines in us, and shines through us as I went past or feel. Um, So I want to recap what what we've covered so far. So first of all, we've got to realize what we are wearing. And then next, we remove uh, what we're wearing, uh, which exposes us to, oh my goodness, I did not realize that I was actually damaged here, hurt here, that this was out of place, that I had that issue. Then we're renewed in the spirit of our minds, because really, often the things that we do are not really the things that we're doing it for, if that makes sense. So we can go after getting this thing out of our lives but actually we don't deal with the issue. When we take the thing off our lives, it uncovers what the actual issue is. And for most of us, we tend to clear away the cobweb and leave the spider. If you keep the spider present, you're just going to get more and more cobwebs. What we want to do here is kill the spider so you don't struggle with that stuff anymore. So we realize what we're wearing, we put it off, we discover, oh my goodness, there's actually this issue. Or I've been believing this for 38 years, what? We deal with that and we kill the spider. And then the best bit, we redress spiritually with the appropriate clothes. And Romans 13, 14, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. It's a movement from the false comfort of the familiar through the discomfort of transition uh, to being clothed in Jesus Christ. And it's an intentional process. You all know that. You've got to do it. You cannot come and say, I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling with this, and it won't go away, because my question will be, well, what are you doing? It's just too hard. That's not an answer. What are you doing? We've got to be intentional about this. It's a process. It's a continual process. As you go, really? It's the life of a disciple, and we want to be destination disciples, becoming more and more like Jesus. Okay, so last week we covered futile thinking, thinking that's not real and what that happens when we're eating the fruit from the wrong tree. We talked about regaining sensitivity um, and really that largely comes from places where we've been hurt. If we have suffered loss or we've suffered injury or something's happened, we tend to just numb it down and anesthetize the pain that we're suffering. And last week, I hope you heard me and I hope you heard my heart on it. We can't live like that. It's not what Jesus died for. And the only way that we can come face to face with our pain and the stuff that's happened to us is if we take, our hand, take his hand, become dependent on him and go through that process. And then we talk briefly about the deceitful desires. The desires that we have that are lying to us, desires that lead us into slavery and destruction. And I talked and hopefully nailed you all about the fact that most of us wake up and don't want to go to work. But yet somehow we never don't go to work because uh, we just know that we need to do it. So let's not be just yielding to whatever comes into our mind because it seems like a good idea. And your homework was to ask the question, what lies am I believing? Now, can we all be very transparent? How many did ask that question? Yes, we had a couple. That was better than I thought. Please partner with me and with God in this process. Please, whenever I throw these things out, just trust me. 
Just ask him the questions. What lies am I believing? What is it that I've got on that I need to take off? <clears throat> what is it, or how do I get this thing over my head? How do I get this off and make a change to my life? Okay? So, this week we're talking about where to put your personality in the process. Okay? And what I want to talk about, first of all, is about personality profiles. Have you heard about personality profiles? Are you all familiar with that? About how it's all, I, I, I think it's so interesting. I mean, Claire and I are opposite ends of the spectrum. And, you know, when you're with people that are similar, it can be either, flip, we get on so well, or else, why does this person irritate me so much? And then the sad but true, you realize that actually they're like you and really how irritating you can be yourself. Ever had that moment? Hillary did that to me one time. I was talking to her about something and she said, who does that remind you of? And I went, <laughs> so we've all been there. The dictionary defines um, personality as the combination of characteristics or qualities that form an individual's distinctive character. The combination of characteristics or qualities that form an individual's distinctive character. And there's defining types. There's many, many types. There's two main breakdowns, one being extroverted. Now, extroversion and introversion is about where you find your energy from. So extroverts tend to get their energy and buzz and life from being around people, which is the category that I would be in. Claire, on the other hand, would be in the introverted the category. We were out one time and I just she said to me, did you talk to everybody? And I said, I don't know. I think I did. And she said, I talked to everybody. I need to lie down. Because she was exhausted after it. So she finds restoration from being by herself. Now, we're all a mix of both. I like to be by myself. But I love being around people. So we're a mix of both. There are those that embrace change and live for it. There are those that find the everyday chores and schedule and detail difficult. And there are the others who absolutely love it. There are those who want adventure and can't wait for life to change. And they inspire creativity and other people too. Well, why don't you think of things being differently? And there are those that don't like change. They like doing what they've always done. They find stability and they also bring stability to others by doing the same things faithfully every day. Psalm 139, 13 to 14. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, there's lots of helpful tools. Are you familiar with the different uh, personality profiling tools that you can get, some of you? Two that I'm going to talk about today are Myers-Briggs and the DISC test. Have you heard of both of those? No? Okay. Is this, is this all new to some of you? It's really fascinating stuff. Now, Myers-Briggs, you answer on both of them a whole set of questions. So basically, it'll uncover also what you know and understand about yourself. Now, in a Myers-Briggs, I come out as ENFP. Now, that, that probably means nothing to you, and I don't really want to go into that. But the first thing being extroverted. So when you break an ENF... Are you guys struggling over there in the sun? Are you all right? Do you need to feel free to move if you do? Um, just want to give you a, a little brief blurb as Mark passes out out of heat exhaustion in Northern Ireland. Unbelievable. Um, so this is a description of an ENFP. So more than just sociable people pleasers, ENFPs, like, like all their diplomatic cousins, are shaped by their intuitive quality, allowing them to read between the lines with curiosity and energy. They tend to see life as a big, complex puzzle where everything is connected. But unlike analysts, which are another category, who tend to see that puzzle as a series of systematic machinations, ENFPs see it through a prism of emotion, compassion, and mysticism and are always looking for a deeper meaning. 
Okay? You may be thinking, why is he telling us about himself? He is this egocentric maniac. Well, hold that thought. Hold every thought and lead it away in obedience to Jesus Christ. And trust me, we're going somewhere. The disc test. Now, I took the disc test in 2004. And I would have had a very different uh, assessment of myself than I would now. But I came out as result-orientated, right? That means that those type of people like to assert themselves and take control. They tend to be direct and positive with people. They get restless and bored when involved in routine and repetitive work or activities. And they feel restrained by rules and restrictions. Colin Woodward in a nutshell. Now that? That is the sum of the parts of who I am. Because it's a personality test and they must have me completely right. It's good. It really is good. And I have found such benefit in being aware of, uh, you know, the strengths that I have, the weaknesses that I have. I find it really helpful in identifying types. Like I know uh, for Mark, detail is seriously important for him. When I'm talking to him, I need to have all my ducks in a row and be able to answer his questions. And you feel loved when I do that, don't you? Helps me love him and helps me understand him. But what I want to say to you this morning is that is not the summary of who Mark Gordon is. Let me read this. Uh, this is from 1 Corinthians five sixteen to 17. From now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Although we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. So I want to ask you this morning, who are you in the Spirit? I can tell you who I am, what I like, what I don't like, what I struggle with, how, how uh, tiredness, you all know how tiredness affects me. I get mean and I get nasty. And the best thing is for me to haul this carcass up to bed. I could tell you uh, the ways that I've developed. I could tell you that uh, this is really low and that needs to come up. Um, I listen to enough people and trust enough people that I can appreciate some of my blind spots as they tell me that they happen. But that is not who I am in its summary. The second point I have here is the prison of the personality. And in brackets, how to get free. The negative definition. One of the most problem commons, or one of the most common problems, can't even speak this morning, of being self-aware and self-conscious is negative definition. Well, no, no, I don't do that. No, attention to detail is something I struggle with. So I don't do that. I'm not really that administrative. Well, I'm introverted, so therefore, you know, I can't be with people. Um, well, I'm really passionate. I'm a free spirit. No, I'm a free spirit. It's the way that the Lord has made me. I'm a free spirit in there. Therefore, you just need me to be by myself. Therefore, because of that, I can do this, but I can't do that. So I know that you can ask me to do this. And, you know, God would never ask me to do this because he wired me this way. Have you found, has that been your experience of him? God knows that I, I, I don't do those things, therefore he's never going to ask me to do it. Have you found that often he goes, Colin, you know the way that you would say that you're not really that good at attention to detail. Well, would you come and do this job that's going to require 90% of what you need to do to be about attention to detail? Couldn't be the Spirit. He would never ask me to do that. Never. It's not him. It's not the Lord. It's me. We limit ourselves and we declare, I can or I cannot do this, or yes, I do that, but I don't do this. 
the daddies I've heard, well, I don't do nappies. Well, I don't do that. No, no, I don't, I don't do this. No, 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 I don't do that. We must not become imprisoned by the nature of our personalities. Let me read this. Matthew seven fifteen to 20. Now you may think, what on earth? But listen. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. So you may go, is he saying that my personality is a false prophet? Well, what's the definition of the prophetic? It's communicating the mind, will, and heart of God to an individual or corporate body for what's past, what is now, or for what's to come. And if the lens of your personality prophesies your future to you and edits out what God will and won't do in you, through you, and for you, absolutely I'm saying it can be a false prophet. But there is good news. John 8, 36, if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed, or you're truly free. Galatians 5, 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not be encumbered once more by a yoke of slavery. John 8, 32, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 2 Corinthians three seventeen, one of our DCB favorites, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Your personality cannot take you to your God-given destiny. It doesn't have it. It'll say no where you should say yes. Your assumption and summary and understanding of yourself is not the whole picture of who you are. And so often God comes to us and says, would you do that for me? Oh, no, 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 no. We relegate that to something we ate last night. But if you stay accountable and stay with those people who are more mature than you and say, look, I really get the impression that God's asking me to do this. And I have to tell you that I, like, I really love him and I don't know that I have this in me to do this. And I'm nervous about that. If somebody came to me and said that to me, I would listen very carefully. And then I would probably ask some questions. And then I, then I would go, are you saying that you're a bit fearful about it? They'd go, yeah, that's okay. But you don't know who you are yet. Was there something in the Bible about the clay saying to the potter, look, you can't make me into that. And God basically went, you don't tell me what I'm creating you to be. You yield yourself to me. And as you yield yourself to me, those bits that were kind of jaggedy and those bits that you would say that I would never do, as you let him love you and deal with you, he will smooth those things out and form you into who he's created you to be. Yielding and submitting yourself to the nature of your personality cannot get you to your God-given destination. Only yielding yourself to the Spirit of God will get you to the destination of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ will be formed in you. The soul, the personality, is a wonderful servant, but it is a terrible master. 
Um, a number of months ago, do you remember the analogy I used about the two-year-old? You know, the two-year-old, the soul's like the two-year-old and the body's like the, uh, the, the rally car. And so often we let the two-year-old drive the rally car and then wonder why people die in the passenger seat beside us and we have serious concussion and the cars are right off. The two-year-old needs to be buckled in the back and with some toys in the back to keep it amused. Maybe stick it on the iPad with BBC iPlayer and Mr. Tumble or whatever it is that you want to put on and let it enjoy the ride and go, Daddy's going around the corner. Hey! But don't let the two-year-old go to the driver's seat, switch the engine on and let it take it where it needs to be. We have got to... What's that you say, Lord? Um, we have got to let the Holy Spirit be our navigator. We sit in the front. We're the ones who have dominion over our own lives. We sit in the front. We uh, drive the rally car and we listen to the Holy Spirit. And when he says, you speed up for this bend, and we go, oh, dear God. He goes, yes, dear God it is. Let's speed up and go around this bend. When you come around some bends with him at great speed and drifted around the corner and uh, shot along, and even though you turned left where it didn't need, look like you needed a left turn, when you've done some of those, you'll start to listen to him beyond what you understand. You are not the victim of your personality. You are not slaves to the nature of your personality. You are sons and daughters of the king. If your identity is found in a Myers-Briggs ENFP definition that says that I'm just a free spirit and I need to go and live in the trees and hug them every so often, that's what I'm going to do and what I'm going to get. I am a son of the king. Your father, the king, calls you. So let the call of the king this morning define you and liberate you. Now you might be sitting there going, but Colin, my personality is God-given. Well, yes, it absolutely is. But you are not slave or victim to what you've been given by God. What God gives you has the potential to liberate you. And I really use that word carefully. It has the potential to liberate you when you yield to him. Is your body God-given? Some of you aren't too sure. Maybe that's when we need to retrace self-worth. Is your body God-given? Did he give you your body? Is it wise to influence your physical desires? It's, it is wise or it isn't wise? It's not wise? Are you going, oh, we've answered it wrong? Yes, you answered that one wrong. Is it wise to influence the desires that you have of your body? I just want to eat whatever I want. I'm going to eat, do that whenever I like. And I'm sure, who cares that that chicken's 18 months old and it's raw and never cooked. I'll just eat that. And really, I'm just going to sleep now even though I should be working. And is it wise to influence your physical desires? What? <laughs> no, just do what you want. Eat cake and be happy. What was it? Eat cake. You won't, what? There's somebody that I remember reading one. Stay safe, eat cake. Fatter people are harder to carry or something like that. So what, what happens if you don't discipline your eating, right? You'll put on weight or you won't, you'll lose weight and you'll not be healthy. If you don't control yourself, your body will not serve you. You'll end up serving it. So God gave us all of these things as vehicles through which he wanted us to interact with the world. So just the same as we go, look, I need to stop eating here or I need to exercise there or I need to start eating here or I need to take care of my body and sleep more and rest more. The personality is exactly the same. You have been given your personality as a gift as something that you need to steward. 
the only way that you can do that is if your spirit is connected to the spirit and you lead your mind, will, and emotions, your personality, your soul, and your body. If you are led by your personality or you're led by uh, your body, you're not going to get to where God wants you to be. It's just not going to happen. They have been designed by him to serve us as we serve him and his purposes in the earth. And if your body is not serving you or you're living to serve it, you must take dominion over it, that's that word again, by getting connected to the spirit and finding leadership and leading it. That's our responsibility to do that, okay? I want to bring two biblical examples. We've got Peter and we've got Gideon. So let me read Peter. This will be very familiar to you. Matthew 16, 21 to 23. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me, and you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Harsh words, eh? Peter was passionate. Peter was loyal. Peter loved Jesus with all his heart, and he did not want him to suffer and die. And Peter thought he knew what he did not know. He made a big fat assumption. And Peter actually, uh, he would be defined in the Myers-Briggs as exactly the same personality that I have, an ENFP. Peter was not perceiving the Spirit of God and the enemy was attempting to tempt Jesus through the nature of Peter's personality. Let me read what the same man, when he yielded to the Spirit, matured and became the possible he was destined to be. He wasn't limited by his personality at this stage and uh, the purposes of God were assisted by his personality and he said this. Now bear in mind what he said to Jesus. That will never happen. You will never have to do that. The same man says, 1 Peter 4, 1-2, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Powerful stuff. You will, Jesus, no, you will never have to suffer. And then in maturity, as he yields himself and becomes who he's born to be, he says, no, no, we need to have the same attitude as Jesus because when you've suffered in the body, you're done with sin. Gideon, love Gideon. I think there's hope for us all when you read Gideon. Let me read, this is, uh, you can follow me if you want, Judges 6, 11 to 18, and this is from the message. One day the angel of God came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizurite. Why are these words in here like this? Abizurite. Whose son Gideon was threshing wheat in the winepress out of the sight of the Midianites. The angel of God appeared to him and said, God is with you, mighty warrior. <laughs> and Gideon went, what now? Gideon replied, with me, my master, God is with us. Why has all this happened to us? Where are all the miracle wonders our parents and grandparents told us about telling us, didn't God deliver us from Egypt? The fact is God has done nothing to do with us and he's turned us over to Midian. But God faced him directly and said, go in this strength that is yours and save Israel from Midian. Haven't I just sent you? Gideon said to him, me, my master, how and with what could I ever save Israel? Look at me, my clan's the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the runt of the litter. 
God said to him, I'll be with you. Believe me, you'll defeat Midian as one man. And Gideon said, if you're serious about this, do me a favor. Give me a sign to back up what you're telling me. Ever had any exchanges with God like that? Gideon was weak because he believed he was weak. God didn't come and say, you're going to be a mighty warrior. God said to him, you are a mighty warrior. He didn't come to him and say, I'm going to release strength. He said, with the strength that you have, do this. We're waiting. We're like, I think we're like a Lego man that needs to be constructed. And God's going, I think you've got everything that you need. No, what about that bit? What about that bit? What about my cloak of invisibility? No, that one doesn't exist. Whenever God adds the cloak of invisibility to me, I shall serve him in the earth. You're going to be waiting all your life. It's true though, isn't it? When God has moved me to this place, then I shall start. No, you will get moved by this place by starting. We don't need to be constructed. We often need to be deconstructed. And then we put on Jesus Christ. He was weak because he believed he was weak. And also his history and experience him told he was weak. He didn't likely like change. But he settled for what he knew. And he wanted to know what would happen, how it would happen, when it would happen, and all because he was terrified. I was, when I was telling you last week about crossing the Karakareed Rook Bridge, as they went in front, the guide was just standing there. And I wanted to go, <laughs> how many people are allowed on this bridge? Is it my turn to go right now? Should I go right now? How far about, like, should there be a distance between each of us? Should we go at a particular speed? But it's wobbling. What do we do when it wobbles? Do I hold on tight one hand? What? And then I thought, just die to yourself and walk across the Blinken Bridge, Colin, would you? The soul man wants to know everything before it crosses the bridge. Do you have that t-shirt? If you do, please hear me. You're in good company. But you're with a God who's never going to give you all the information. I said to God clearly one time, and it rose out of my heart, I was in worship in Phoenix one time, and I said, I just don't understand. He said, I know. And I have to tell you, that was enough. We don't have to have the whole pieces of the puzzle. To be honest, if he showed us all, we'd probably go. <laughs> we just need to believe him when he says to come. The same man Gideon 7, 19-22. Gideon and his hundred men got to the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. Just after the sentries had been posted, they blew the trumpets. At the same time, smashing the jars they carried, all three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held their torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right, ready to blow and shouted a sword for God and for Gideon. They were stationed all around the camp. Each man at his post, the whole Midian and I camp, jumped to their feet. They yelled and they fled. When the 300 blew the trumpets, God aimed each Midianite sword against his companion all over the camp. They ran for their lives to Bethsheda, towards Zerariah, to the border of Abel Mahola, near Tabith. Jeepers, I could have cut that verse out and it would have saved me a whole heap of pain. The same man led victory. He stood there and he said, and he had an argument with God and t- told God in real arrogance what he thought that God didn't know. The same man led those people to victory. It doesn't, doesn't discount you if you argue with him. I wouldn't recommend it, but you can. You can ask him for a sign. He might not give you one. You can be terrified and not believe him, but if you start to put one foot in front of the other, you could lead a people to victory. 
Peter was a passionate, impulsive guy that just, you know, it served him in some ways. If it's you, I'll come out on the water. He jumps out in the water. The same guy looks at the windows and the waves and starts to sink. God's got him. These are the type of people that God uses, just like you and like me. Gideon went from fearfulness to fierceness. Personality is a particular type of clay out of which God sculpts and molds his sons and his daughters. We've got to die to live. Do not be conformed to this world any longer, but be transformed and progressively changed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove for yourselves what the will of God is, which is good and acceptable and perfect. As we change and are transformed, we can start to see what we're called to. You cannot see and understand what God has for you through the lens of your personality. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Matthew 16, 25. I was talking with someone this morning about, you know, we can perceive that, is this just that God wants to cookie cutter me? Just wants me to tell me to shut up and just become a Christian, be a robot and say the right things? No, you get to become yourself. The ENFPs are free spirits as a personality type. They don't like to be restricted and they don't like to be told what to do. I personally would like to decide at times what I do and when I do it. I'm not a fan of routine. I don't like detail and I don't like administration. I like being around people, but I don't particularly like taking responsibility for them and commitment. I like spontaneity and I find menial tasks incredibly mundane. That's my soul talking. I am called to be a pastor. You get to figure out whether I'm your pastor or not, but I'm called to be a pastor. From what is required to me to be that, my personality says different. I have to decide who I'm going to listen to, which I'm going to put off, and which I'm going to put on. Can I get you guys to join me at the front? But I've made the decision to die to my personality. I've made the decision to go, I'm not going to be defined by this free-spirited, really, which is rooted in a lot of pride, this rebellious, which is rooted in a lot of, you don't get to tell me what to do because I like to tell myself what to do. I've decided to die to that. And my testimony is I have never enjoyed my life more, ever. I have never delighted in getting up. I have never delighted in spending time with people and taking responsibility for helping you get to where you're supposed to be in Jesus Christ. Fielding texts, sending emails, doing the weekly update, doing the devotional, trying to get the detail because I understand that it's in the detail that actually you know that you're loved. So walking out your life as a son and a daughter of the king. What does that look like for you? We do not know who we are and what we are capable of. And we will discover that as we yield ourselves to the spirit of God. Can I get you to stand with me? Your homework this week is where I, to ask God the question, where have I allowed the nature of my personality to define and restrict me? Or where have you just lived out of it because there's been a whole heap of fruit? 
Um, there was a guy I was talking to recently and he was very, very financially successful. His personality all just dovetailed and he was able to make a ton of money. And he said, I knew that whenever I went on the journey with God, now this was his journey, but when he started to go on the journey with God, he knew that the kingdom that he had built was going to start to fall. And as he did that, he said, I'm okay. Because it's not about me. It's not about what I can produce. And he had tasted worldly financial success. And he's going, that's empty. It's just stuff. Let me taste the success of living a life for Jesus Christ. So ask him this week, where have I allowed the nature of my personality to define and restrict me? So as always, here are the questions. Have you lived your life out of the nature of your personality? Or have you defined yourself negatively by what you cannot do? And this morning, are you standing there thinking, I really want my personality to serve me rather than me serve it? If you can answer yes to any of those questions or you just want ministry, come and join me now at the front. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge your presence here this morning. And I acknowledge that your people want to die to live. So I ask that you would increase your presence here this morning. That we would decrease in the right sense. And that you would increase in every way. So come, Holy Spirit.